You have reached the voicemail box of Speed Dial with Ira Madison III and Doreen St. Felix. This week we're talking about Nate Parker and the 15th anniversary of the death of Aaliyah. No message this week because Ira's in New York and we're recording face-to-face. What's up, D-Money? I'm looking at you in the flesh. <laughs> I'm here. And you're wearing these amazing shorts that you got from Old Navy this morning. I wish you Can would not you? tell people that I shop at Old Navy, though. Excuse me, Old Nav. <laughs> <laughs> it was two blocks from the hotel. Actually, you know what? I like to mix high and low fashion. Uh-huh. You know. So what uh, are you, what's the other thing that you're wearing today. Uh, Why don't you tell me? I'm people? wearing some um, Margiela sneakers. Oh, and they're peach. They're not Margiela. <laughs> I, <know. laughs> I was going to let you go away with it, though. They're Adidas. <laughs> uh, I'm doing like this full athleisure look um, because I saw Rita Ora in Vogue wearing well, all, okay. a track, right. wearing track pants and high heels. And, you know, she's really bringing back athleisure. She invented it, actually. Anyway, <laughs> I couldn't be happier to be looking at your beautiful, freshly shorn face. Yeah, I got my hair cut yesterday. Yeah, I was glad really to good. get that fresh New York cut again. You miss New York, don't you? I, I miss black people in New York. Are there no black people in Los Angeles? There are, but I was back in a real like black barbershop. Do you know how black this barbershop was? Tell me how black it How black was it? <laughs> <laughs> um, like, this Drake song came on the radio, mm-hmm. and my barber was like, nah. And he turned it <laughs> off, and then he put on some Papoose and Remy. Oh, my God. <laughs> And not even all the way up. He's playing like Remy mixtape shit. Like a deep cut of yes. and Remy. And I was like, never in LA. You only hear somebody playing Papoose and Remy in a black barbershop oh in God. New York. The picture of New York black love. This is why you need to come back. You can find your papoose in New York, Ira. You're not going to find your papoose in Los Angeles. I don't know if I want a papoose. Why? Actually, you know what? Papoose is papoose is great. He stuck He's by her. He's an amazing husband. Right? He stuck by her Are while they... she was in prison. Yes. How long was she in prison? She was in prison for a good six to eight. Yeah. Remy stabbed that woman in the stomach. Uh, <laughs> or d- shot her. She shot her. She shot her in the you, stomach. You remember on her, her comeback single with Khaled, she was like, Remy Machiavelli sends shots through bellies. Because <laughs> she already shot her. So, and went to There's prison for it. It's like double jeopardy. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, I shot her. Like, okay. Oh, I love Remy Ma so much. <laughs> Let's transition into our first topic, Nate Parker. Do we have to? We have to talk about Nate Parker. Well, you wrote about Nate Parker. I did write about Nate Parker, but I thought it was like an exorcism. Like writing about him would make him go away. I thought it was like the craft. <laughs> and he he won't go away. So basically, the saga of the situation, if you don't know what it what happened, is Earlier this year at Sundance, Nate Parker, who was basically like a B-list actor before 2016, nobody really paid that much attention to him. 
he came out with this film and it's, and it's called The Birth of a Nation and all the white people at Sundance went like totally crazy for it. It inked one of like the biggest like sales ever. 17.5 million. Yeah, when Fox Searchlight picked it up. And you know, it's just been like prime Oscar bait since. Everyone has been talking incredibly. Um, everyone has been lauding this film. It comes out, well, this history has always been known. It's on Nate Parker's Wikipedia page that he allegedly raped a student at Penn State when he was also a student there um, in the early 2000s. This is like plain information. Anybody can see it. But for some reason, it didn't really come to a head until this summer when basically like black feminists online were like, we need to talk about this guy's history. And Nate Parker started, um, I guess, in an effort to get ahead of the story, in an effort to to stop all of the rumblings online, started giving interviews and just has dug himself into a hole. And now it's like creating this huge, um, I think, moment for black people, both on on the Internet and outside of it, asking themselves, is a film on black liberation so important that we should ignore that this black man has hurt women in the past. That's the long and short of it, right? Yeah. I mean, and it's basically been his fault that all of of this shit is happening. I mean, taking back, you know, to the alleged assault, um, which if you read the transcripts of, you know, the victim who has unfortunately since committed suicide, um, claims that, you know, it was assault. Um, she talks vividly about not remembering mm-hmm. having sex with him, not remembering that he also invited his friend and credited co-writer of the film, John Celestin, in to have sex with her as well. Um, and that there's also a third witness who was also invited into the sex but was like nah I'm not gonna do that Mm -hmm. so even if you know it's not he you know he was acquitted um there's still the fact that you know he was like inviting people to like have fun with this girl and the reason he got off um was because the jury said that he had had sex with her before Mm -hmm. which we know is that is a justification that people often use to discredit the experiences that women, predominantly women, but also other people have when they're sexually assaulted. Um, and weirdly enough, this whole situation has like, the racial politics around it are really aggravating to me. It's really aggravating to see, you know, black people that who went to school with him kind of saying, well, y'all weren't there. And this was like a situation of a white woman or white people trying to lynch this innocent black man, you know, who was plucked out of nowhere to the big school in the city and, <laughs> and didn't know what to do with all these like beautiful white women. And it's just like... This Nate Parker himself is not denying the assault. So why do you feel like you need to put on a cape for him? Right. And rewrite Nate, this history. Nate Parker actually describes it the way that it happens in the transcript. It's just according to him, he doesn't believe it was assault. Yeah, exactly. And 
the jury agreed. Which, by the way, the jury was like 11 white people. So... It's just... I don't know. I didn't see any lynching going on. At all. And, you know, he went on to have... He went on to get married. He went on to have children. He went on to have... Even if it was a middling film film career, his life was fine. And his life is still fine. And his life will always be fine. Also, weren't people, like, literally just dragging him a week ago because they found out he had a white wife? That's true. Well, that was part of the whole situation where, um, you know... People, first of all, no one really knows exactly what the race of the victim is, but people are speculating based on some hints that have been dropped on the internet. But um, I think a lot of black women have felt that Nate Parker isn't really for liberation that doesn't include black people who aren't men, right? Well, no, I mean, Gabrielle Union, um, who stars in the film, um, her character is raped by white men in the movie. Um, And that's just like, you know, you talk about how different and how much this movie is going to like forward the conversation. Yeah. But we literally just saw Lupita Nyong'o like be raped by Michael Fassbender in 12 Years a Slave. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like it's a scene we see all the time. Um, And you see Nate Parker playing Nat Turner, who, you know, I'm not going to get into the politics, you know, whether like. Django Unchained is like a good movie, but like, you know, we've seen the image of the black man who's a slave rising up, you know? Mm-hmm. And this movie just seems to have the black man rising up. It's about Nat Turner's story. And then also he's doing it because he's propelled, you know, by a black woman being assaulted Mm -hmm. which is just a story we see so many times yeah you know like everything about the film just seems to be nothing really original story wise and theme wise but we keep being told like how important it is that we need to see this movie and how important it is that we need to forget everything that nate parker has done which could be like easy if he didn't do like the shit he's been doing this week, first of all, his interviews have been whack. His like, interviews with Variety. Like, super whack. Like, one, he's never apologized. Two, he keeps trotting out the fact that he has a wife and, like, daughters as the reason why he's a changed person. You know, he talks about um, how s- sad he is that this is happening. I think, like, the new Variety interview this week talks about how he, like, swings back and forth between like being really sad about this and like wondering if it's like a conspiracy against him and I'm like oh my god and he also blames well he says that he's disappointed in the online African American community for not supporting him he literally sounds like Little Bill like Cosby (laughs) Jr. and I think that there are a lot of parallels between um, the expectations a person like Nate Parker puts on the black community and Cosby and the black community. So, Well, yeah, because Cosby used to like trade in respectability politics. Uh, that's the main reason I don't even like the fucking Cosby show. I never liked that show but to begin with. Is, but the argument is the Cosby show is an unassailable cultural product, right? And the Cosby show was what, you know, finally showed white America that the black family is not pathological, that the black family can actually be upwardly mobile and all these things. So because 
the Cosby Show did all of this important cultural work, we can't forsake Bill Cosby. That's the argument. And that's what people are arguing about Nate Parker. And it's this thing where you can't confuse fictionalizations with actual realities. The Cosby Show obviously was a like a big thing in TV. But I don't think it's like right at all. Or even... Um, it doesn't do justice to all the other black sitcoms of that time period that were, you know, doing work and changing how black Cosby people saw Cosby Show ain't better than what's happening. It's not better than The Fresh Prince. It's not even better than Give Me a Break. <laughs> <laughs> no, Carter was the truth. Um, but it's true. And I, I think that it really is. It's almost gross to hear people say that Nat Turner's story is so important that we have to see a movie funded by fucking Fox Searchlight to honor him. If you want to learn learn about Nat Turner, read his narrative. Right. There are so many other ways you can find about Nat Turner, and at the end of the day, movies are movies. They're not sacred cows. Which Fox Searchlight has produced this, 12 Years a Slave, Bell, Black Nativity. It's like, <laughs> aside from like Just Right and like baggage claim like we don't get you know they made like the comedy um cedar rapids you know um and they make other sorts of like white movies that have varying like subjects nuance but the black movies always seem to be these like oscar bait movies yeah because it's like can you sell like a lars and the real girl with some black people. Lamar and the real girl. Right? Can it's you not get... going to sell. <laughs> it's not. At least not with Fox Searchlight. With uh, Doreen it will. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it's just the fact, too, of like um, whenever someone's like, oh, I'm so disappointed the African-American community isn't supporting me, they always mean women and gay people. Yes. People that Nate Parker himself has disavowed. Yes. He has that, like, homophobic statement from a couple of years ago. Like how he would never play a gay character because he needs to preserve the black man. Additionally. I'm like, nigga, go preserve your career, (laughs) first of all. (laughs) I'm doing my ugly laugh. (laughs) Go eat some of your auntie's preserves. (laughs) Something. Because you know what looks better than Birth of a Nation? Moonlight. True. Moonlight looks amazing. And it's about gay black men. Mm-hmm. And the story is by a friend of mine, Terrell McCraney, actually. Yeah. Who is amazing black and gay playwright who does not need help being preserved. So I think that's actually a good way, you know, to take this situation and to look forward. If you want to see Birth of a Nation... That's on you. If you don't want to see it, that's also on you. The world will not stop turning. And we don't need to make a movie a symbol for black liberation. At the end of the day, it's like the point is to sell tickets. Like, you guys, it's not that serious. It's to make Fox Searchlight money. It's to make Nate Parker more money. Like, the only thing that stops the world is when Beyonce drops a digital. (laughs) Um, but yeah, I think, you know, I would encourage you guys to look at or to check out the Moonlight trailer. It's so beautiful. Um, and I think that this film, if you're, if you feel starved for a true image of blackness in the contemporary, you should, you should watch it. 
Yeah, because it's about the struggles of a black gay man in childhood, adolescence, and adulthood in Miami within a black community. It is very current. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a very much needed film because if anything, um, we need to be preserving the stories of like queer black people and women. Absolutely. Um, it's also why the film Daughters of the Dust is being released again theatrically this year. And you year. talk about that in your piece. Um, Julie Dash's 91 film, which won the grand jury prize like Nate Parker's film, and then went on to become the first film directed by a black woman to be theatrically released in America. So that's also an important film, and it's about women. It was um, part of the inspiration for the visuals in Lemonade, which is why it got you know, so much attention again this mm-hmm. year and it's being re-released. So these are two important films <laughs> that you could see this year. Yeah. Instead of Birth of a Nation. Yeah. You know, or I don't know, like watch Set It Off Again. <laughs> <laughs> Set It Off's a good ass movie. It's true. Watch, watch The Holiday. Right? Like. Black women's liberation <laughs> in Set It Off and you know and how Stella got her groove back how Stella got her groove back <laughs> Holiday is um, you know Queen Latifah being liberated from racist movies like Bringing Down the House <laughs> <laughs> watch her in a good movie the point is seriously guys like you don't need to get all caught up in like the one movie white people are telling you is the like capital B black movie to be seen the media that we make for ourselves, that black women make for themselves, that black gay people make for themselves, it's just as important, if not more. And if you are in Hollywood, and for some reason you listen to this podcast, um, and you're so pressed about Nate Parker, it's like support other people's work, you know? Like, I guarantee you, Nate Parker is not the only person who has ever wanted to make a film about Nat Turner. And I guarantee, you know, because we have Ava DuVernay who made Selma and didn't have a rape allegation in her past, and Steve McQueen, after 12 Years a Slave, did not have a rape allegation in his past, it is very easy to find a black filmmaker who did not probably assault a girl in college. It's not that hard. (laughs) It is not that hard. We exist. (laughs) (laughs) So we are actually recording on the 15th anniversary of the death of Aaliyah Dana Houghton. She died on August 25th in the year 2001 um, on a plane crash from the video shoot for Rock the Boat. Tragic day. Do you remember this day? I will never forget it. I can tell you exactly where I was when I found out. I was in the basement of our home in Canarsie. My mom was doing my hair. She was doing my hair in cornrows. So I was like squeezed in between her legs and we were watching the one TV we had in the in the house. And we switched it to Channel 7 because we wanted to watch Jeopardy. Like it was almost Jeopardy time and we love Jeopardy. 
And we just saw this breaking news that there was this plane crash and that Aaliyah had died in it. And I remember sobbing. August was already a really bad month for me as a kid because I was extremely sensitive. Like, you know, the, the way that they describe like 19th century women who are always hysterical, like that's the way that I was as a kid. So August was terrible because that was also the month that <laughs> Princess Diana died. And after Princess Diana died, I wore like morning shrouds. Really? I was like five. Oh my and God. I mourned her for forever. <laughs> and then it was Looking like, like Wednesday Adams. The, the black Wednesday Adams, like on color people time, so I was Thursday Adams or something. <laughs> but it was already so overwhelming for me that August. Like Princess Diana's the fourth anniversary of her death was coming up in six days and then I had to deal with that. I don't know. I just I was the age where Aaliyah represented the horizon. Like there was no other example of a young black woman who was sexy and smart and mysterious and talented around at that point. We didn't have Beyonce. Like it really was Aaliyah. That's right. I mean, she, Beyonce was still... Um, she was interviewing Aaliyah, right? actually. Beyonce was still asking people to pay for her automobiles then. She did not have her own money. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. But Aaliyah did. And she also had... She was part of this turn of the millennium. It felt like an entire aesthetic revolution. You know, it was Missy. It was the brat. It was Timbaland. It was all these like black people who were like turning goth and using all of these. Um, she was so Y two K. Like yeah, Y two K exactly. Her look in like the when she started like in the back and forth video, like you know with the saggy pants and the scully and like the sunglasses, the, uh, the, the sunglasses. Lake. Yeah, and then like I loved how that transformed into like. Sort of like she lost the jacket part of that um, when she was in like the argue that somebody video because mm-hmm. you know those like that that look is just so good yeah um, she was wearing like, gothic yeah and um, then just try again and like by the time she got to like I mean rock the boat is like a very serene video but like you know we need a resolution it's like she's wearing that dark dress. With the heels and Timbaland's in it, uh, and she has the snake. Yeah, like uh, she on was her just like <sighs> she's that black Daria. We need it. Oh my god! She was god, giving you exactly. goth. She was giving you horror. That's why she was in Queen of the Damned too. Which I still watch that movie because I think she's good in it. Yeah, she's beautiful in it too. It was such a. It felt like something was snatched from us. In a way that we've never we've never recuperated from the death of Aaliyah. No, and there's no one really with that aesthetic as a black person right now. I mean, I guess there's like FK Twigs, but she's like a model, and I don't really know what her music sounds like. Um, and <laughs> Azalea Banks, I guess, was a witch or something, but I think she got burned at the stake earlier this year. <laughs> so um, no one exists anymore. There's no one who exists who has what Aaliyah had, but everybody is trying to have what she had, right? Yeah. Like, everybody is an imitator. Doesn't Drake have an Aaliyah tattoo? I mean, yeah. He who, definitely who has isn't Drake imitator? <laughs> no, but in particular... <laughs> he loves her. Yeah. Um, he has an Aaliyah tattoo. He, You remember when he tried to make that Aaliyah album? 
Do I remember and her it? her family was like, nah. <laughs> her, Rashad, you right. know Rashad, her brother was, was like, take your Canadian ass. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. But yeah, I just think it's, if thinking about, I think Aaliyah is owed in particular for the way rap and hip hop has evolved since her death. She was nominally an R&B artist. You know, she was on her way to becoming a huge pop star. But uh, the lyrics that Aaliyah had in her songs, like from R. Kelly days all through Timbaland, were about this emotional vulnerability that rappers like weren't using at that point. Right. But now that's actually the landscape of mainstream rap. You know, that's what Drake does. Drake is essentially like. He's trying to approximate what Aaliyah did in R&B, but via rapping. Um, So I think it's, like, really interesting to think about the way, like, all these boys were, like, in love with her when she was a teenager, when, when they were teenagers or, you know, adolescents. And then they ended up, like, using her style as a musician to change a genre that she wasn't even, like, really a part of. Yeah, except when when she would appear on, like, Timbaland tracks. That's true. Up Trumps the Boogie is, like, one of her greatest. Like, she does the chorus for that. Mm -hmm. And it's so, I mean, that's sort of what they do now, you know? It's like that that soulful. Yeah, the girl who comes in and and does the hook. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, Timbaland, Timbaland changed pop music forever. Like, Forever, People want to talk about producers. I feel like Timbaland and Pharrell are kind of tied for having the most effect on contemporary pop music. Right. I mean, he made me like Justin Timberlake for a few minutes. Listen, it was more than a few minutes for me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, JT and Timbaland were fire. Yeah. but Timbaland, Timbaland and- made Nelly Furtado hot. Nelly Furtado, I just read about this like three days ago. She was a freaking Canadian folk singer. Yeah, I'm like a bird. No disrespect to Canadians. But she was a bird. She literally said she was a bird. And then she came out with Loose, which is one of the best albums in pop music history. Yeah. It's an incredible album. Promiscuous. Say um, it right. Oh my God. It's Maneater. Yeah. Like, she was doing it. And you get the sense that, like, Timbaland was in such mourning after Ilya's death because, A, she was his, like, most frequent collaborator at that point. And, B, he was clearly in love with her. He, it's almost like in that decade after she died, he was, like, trying to build that kind of you know, muse producer relationship with all these other people who were never going to be Aaliyah with Nelly, with Justin, I even with you... Nicole Scherzinger, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, I know what you want. Carrie Hilson, too. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> these flops. <laughs> you know who I wish he'd done it with? Who? Sierra. Ooh. He really could have helped her career. But she had to she had to like link up with Jazzy Faye. Yeah, I mean that was a a very good moment for her, but ultimately it didn't have um like cuz she seemed to Aaliyah. So he was probably That's like interesting. You know. Mm-hmm. Although Missy loves Sierra. 
Oh, but I think you can argue that Missy was kind of looking for an Aaliyah-like figure yeah. for her because forget Timbaland and Aaliyah's relationship, Missy and Aaliyah had like a very mm-hmm. kind of like vaguely sapphic yeah. <laughs> relationship um, musically. What was it? Um, best Friend or yeah. whatever on Missy's album or like Stick and Chickens. Like this, <laughs> this shit was hot. Um <laughs> Missy and um, Missy, Aaliyah, and Little Kim were like the the triumvirate. Oh my god, that's such a weird time in music that we'll never get back again. No, I mean we don't have that now. No, and do you remember the Miss You video? Mm-hmm. So the thing is, when Aaliyah died, she was in the Caribbean doing that video for Rock the Boat. The plane crashed because the pilot was like messed up on drugs or something. Um, Wait, was that it? I also, I thought it was because also there was too much like luggage on it. It was just like everybody was a shit show. Right. Like, I, I'm i so mad about that still, yeah, by the way. Uh, I can't even. It's like. It's so infuriating. Too much luggage. Sh- yeah. It's like. What's. <laughs> it's like, bitch, were you shopping in the Caribbean? Yeah, like, what's did, luggage to Aaliyah? <laughs> were you like, I got to bring back a few crates? <laughs> Leave my people alone. <laughs> We didn't have anything to do with this. But it's just to say that she was in the middle. Uh, that album was Aaliyah launching as a pop solo powerhouse. That album is phenomenal. The tracks on that album are still like beyond what pop music is More now. More Than a Woman? Yeah. More Than a Woman is exceptional. I Care For You, um, Loose Rap. Like, these songs on that album, like, could be dropped today. Absolutely. And there would be fire singles, and mm-hmm. they'd be the top of the charts. And that was just her moment. That was her big, like, that was her, um, that was her B-Day, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, before B-Day? Was before ever going to be a You know, thing? like, Beyonce's B-Day is about to have its 10th anniversary, um, and this was, like, five years before B-Day, it was just her launching pad. Yeah. And she would have gone on to, like, such huge heights. There's the the video that was released for I Miss You features, you know, a bunch of people in Aaliyah's universe. So some of these people are associates, some people are family. Um, And when you see just, like, face after face come up, like, these were the biggest people in music, you know, you see Missy Elliott, you see DMX was very big at that point, you realize the pull that she had on everybody in the industry. Like, everybody, regardless of orientation, was, like, a little bit in love with her. Mm -hmm. Um, And this is the, this is also the, the VMAs this week are the anniversary of that you know, tribute performance oh, yeah. to Aaliyah mm-hmm. um, because um, the year prior was when she won her only VMAs. It was for the Try Again video. And there would have been so, so, so many more if she didn't die. I kind of put Aaliyah in the class of people like um, Selena, just like these young singers who were big when they died, but like nowhere close to as big as they would have been had mm-hmm. they been able to see their potential through. Yeah. Like Aaliyah would have had a film career. Um, she was make she made what's that movie called? Queen of the Damned? Well yeah, Queen of the Damned. Queen of the Damned. She at that was point. in Romeo Must Die. Yeah, yeah. She was like 
starring opposite Jet Li. (laughs) (laughs) She was also, you know, she was so unbelievably gorgeous. Like, there was no beauty campaign she wouldn't have had. Like, you want to talk about Rihanna doing Dior? Like, Aaliyah was the template for a singer who's also a dancer who was also a model and who Mm -hmm. could do all these things. You know, she made Tommy Hilfiger. Tommy Hilfiger didn't make Aaliyah. It was the other way around. Um, And... Lost potential is not something. Where's that Aaliyah collection? Does Tommy Hilfiger hate black people? That was well, that did, rumor, right? Well, they Complex actually did a big story about this. Did they? Yeah, I didn't read it. I don't read Complex. But... I'm kidding. <laughs> I I read Complex's tweets, uh, <laughs> but um, you know, there should be like an Aaliyah collection. Yeah, there should be an Aaliyah, an Aaliyah makeup collection. Um, an Aaliyah weave collection. All of us with these long Malaysian weaves, Those we got it from weaves were on point. <laughs> Ooh, what other Aaliyah the shit? The beach wave? Yeah. Oh, God, amazing. Uh, Aaliyah Airlines. <laughs> oh. <laughs> why must you be... Why don't you get on a plane and go back to California? Wow. Why are you like this? <laughs> We're sitting here having a good-ass conversation about music history, and you need to come in with your callousness. You know, I'm just, it's, it's how I forget. It's how, this I is, found out she died, like, in the middle of class. Oh, no. Like, the first, it was the first day back to school. Mm-hmm. And I went into our black guidance counselor's office and, like, cried. This isn't funny, but I'm laughing. And I was at an all-boys school, too. And I was like, I need to leave this classroom. And then I went home, and my mom was sad, too. Because, like, you know. Mama knows. Because I got into Aaliyah from my mom. Mm. Like, I stole her um, One in a Million CD. And she was always mad at me oh. about it. She'd be like, "What the fuck is my Leah CD?" <laughs> <laughs> when we still have CDs, <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, you know, Aaliyah's always been very important to me. Um, and if I, you know, if I make the jokes, it's because I love you. We love you, baby girl. Yeah. R.I.P. And now we are back with our brand new speed dial segment, Feedback, where you, the listeners, get to call in and ask us questions about love, life, work, um, or maybe just um, share some hateful comments you have about my Aaliyah Airlines joke. Which you should definitely send to Ira. <laughs> he deserves them. <laughs> if you have some thoughts, you can call us at 424 354 9335. The number is 424 354 9335. Now, you weren't here last week, Doreen. No, uh, so not. you missed our first segment, but this week we have one very special question. Um, so let's get to it. How do I deal with a coworker who talks about me all the time at work? Do I bring it up or do I bring it out to HR or do I just keep it quiet and pretend like I don't hear? 
So you mean to tell me there's a coworker out there who's talking shit about a speed dial listener? I mean, people what, are trash. What you need to do <laughs> is to privately DM us <laughs> the address of your employment, and we will come rectify the situation. I mean, what do you do when a coworker is being shady Co- or just outright rude? It's it's definitely a hard situation to deal with. Um, I feel like snitches go to HR. I would definitely second that comment. I think once you introduce HR into the situation, it only stokes some of the bad blood that there might be. Because then they get even more two. mad. Exactly. I mean, if the HR at your company even does anything in the first place. Right. Honestly, a situation involving a coworker who's talking shit about you is just like a situation of involving anybody who's talking shit about you. You need to confront them. People love to talk shit in that passive aggressive way where, you know, they do it like publicly or they do it to people that you might even have a relationship with so that you feel like your your hand is tied, you know, you're not able to respond. You need to just get that person in a corner alone. And nine times out of 10, if you confront somebody and you have evidence, like maybe, you know, there's an actual like sentence or phrase you heard them say. Always come with the receipts. Always come with the receipts. And you let them know they're going to pull back because they're going to be intimidated. Right. I mean, in the case of me, I would call that bitch out in person. And online, probably. When it happens. (laughs) And now... Back to this bitch that had a lot to say about me in the news the other day. (laughs) What's good? But, you know, I feel you. I hate it when people do that because at the end of the day, we're all here to get these coins. We're not here to make friends. No, I didn't come here to make friends. I came here to win. Which is to also say you didn't come here to make haters. And so I think that... People who make the workplace environment even more stressful than it is on top of whatever projects that you need to be handing in or completing, those people are trash. And I would probably guess that you're not the only person this coworker talks about. And a lot of people probably also don't like them. Yeah. Like, there's something like extra petty about being the trash talky coworker. Yeah. Like because they'll always like have a snide comment during a meeting or something. And like people hear it. You know, so people know this person is trash talking you. So I feel like when you confront them, people will be on your side. Yeah. Now there is a flip side though. Because if you hear someone trash talk you, it could be by accident because you may be the coworker that everybody hates. <laughs> Which is something you might have to consider. So, you know, you should definitely confront the person who's talking about you, but you also need to take a look at yourself first and find out if, like, everybody else feels the same way. Because then the problem is you. That is some harsh but necessary truth. I'm just saying, you know, like, Mm -hmm. I have talked trash about a coworker in the past, um... But everybody talks trash about that coworker because mm-hmm. we hate that person. Um, it's not at MTV. I love everyone at MTV. You better. Um, it was at a former place of employment. Oh, I wonder what place it could be, Ira. I've worked at a couple places um, recently, so you That's don't know true. what place it is, <laughs> <Yeah>. okay? 
Um, but I do have a new book coming out called If I Did It about working at BuzzFeed. <laughs> Did I work there? Who knows? Um, this has been Feedback. If you would like to leave us a message, call me and Doreen at 424-354-9335. That is 424-354-9335. Call us now. That was my Miss Cleo. I know. Well, it's been so much fun being in New York with you. It's been physically painful. I have not <laughs> laughed so hard in a while. My stomach and my body literally hurts. You are amazing and dangerous. Well, I am going back to LA, so it's okay. You but we're going to get you to move here. Will you? Yeah. I don't know. Have well, you seen me? I you used to live here. here. You need to move to LA. Um, I don't know about all that. I mean, if you come, just don't fly Carrie Hilson Airlines because that <laughs> crashes too. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Speed Dial. I apologize if my co-host, Iron Madison III, offended you in any way. Fasten your seatbelts. This episode of Speed Dial was produced by Kasia Mihailovic, Michael Catano, and Mukta Mohan for the MTV Podcast Network. Follow us on Twitter and like us on Facebook at MTV Podcasts. Subscribe to this and other MTV podcasts on iTunes.